Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Detour Live. We've got a star-studded panel. Uh, four-time national road champion Johnny Trevorrow, Olympic gold medalist Scott McGrory, dual Olympic bronze medalist Sam Bewley. Uh Welcome, fellas. Uh, I suppose we should talk about the hot topic straight off the bat. American election. What is <laughs> going on over there? All sorts. All sorts, mate. It's all over. I, I, I was just listening to uh, to Donald, and uh, it's all over. He's uh, he's playing victory. <laughs> so uh, oh. I think we yeah. <laughs> I was just saying to Billy before, like I was watching his presser, thinking he's not going to call it. He's not going. He's called it. Here we go. It's on. So yeah. going to be interesting times. Hey, did you know that you you know this, Scotty? That um, Trump used to have his own cycling race. It was the, the Trump to, Classic or, or Tour de Trump. The Tour yeah. de Trump, which became the Tour de Pont, which like, if you look at Tour of California World Tour race over the last whatever it was, 10 years or so, um, that's the biggest race, was the biggest race in America. The Tour de Pont was that equivalent back in the day. So it was definitely the biggest race in the US when it um, was around. Uh, the Tour de Pont, uh, so DuPont company took over from Trump because Trump, of course, only hung around for a little bit to get his name on the race and then jumped ship. Um, it didn't last very long as the Tour de Trump, and it quickly became the Tour de Pont. It had a pretty good legacy, actually, for quite a while. Mm. Do you remember that race, Ify? I certainly do. So he's not all bad. <laughs> he's sponsored a bike race. He's got some good uh, parts to him. But, uh, no. no. <laughs> he's a good yeah. comedian as well. I, I, don't, I'm not, I don't want to get into the politics of it, but the one thing that he is amazingly good at is the minute that anyone – says anything he doesn't want to hear, he says fake news. And that has turned out to be one of the main reasons he's still in this because he, the, the supporters love him that much. They want to believe it's fake news. No, that, that's fake news. So they say, okay, we're not going to listen to that. So that has worked so well for him, the old fake news. So I'm going to try that on Kay in the future. No, fake news, Kay, it's not true. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, you'll be impeached. <laughs> yeah. uh, all right, well, back to the serious stuff. The Vuelta overnight now. Ify and Scotty, I think your predictions were somewhere in the middle. Yeah, well, yes. that, so Johnny, you said thirty to forty seconds, so we'll say forty. Um, that that Car um, Carapaz would be behind Roglic. I said sixty seconds, and he ended up forty-nine, so fifty seconds, right smack in the middle of our predictions. Mm. Oh, there you go. I actually thought I said that he'd be 40 seconds behind after the stage, which, what is he, 30, 39. So I was only one second out. Mate, you can't change your buddy. No, I'm going to have to go out, back, check the, check the tape. Check the tape. Hugh Carty. Yeah. 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 It was uh, right. sensational. Yeah. Yeah. The big question is, if he can he win the Vuelta? Who? Hugh? Yeah. Uh, will he win? Probably not. Can he win? Of course he can. All the guys who, you know, the top the top three, they're all within, you know, 39, set, 40 something, 47 seconds. Um, and, you know, what's going to be interesting in the next few days, look, I don't think it, even though the, the only really tough climb is the, is the penultimate day, uh, the hilltop finish on the Saturday. I think the tactics over the next few days are going to be really interesting. As you know, Bills will be all games being played, guys going up the road, bloke, joke, blokes jumping across. This get, The next uh, three days are going to be fascinating to watch. So, Billy, you're the team manager at Jumbo Visma. What, what are you telling the crew? Get ready for Saturday. 
I think that the. That's the stage here, I think. Yeah. Yeah. Look, these next next couple of days, there's very limited chance for Q Carthy or Carapaz to to win the Vuelta. I think they're they're not easy stages. They'll certainly, in my opinion, be won by breakaways. That doesn't mean that the GC battle won't be happening behind. But from the top of the last climb to the finish in these coming days, it's too far. Um, Jumbo's too strong. They just, you know, what's Carapaz going to do? What's Hugh Carthy going to do? They're not, not going to jump away with 40k to go and expect to hold off uh, a team like Jumbo that's probably going to go over those last couple of climbs with six guys. Um, so if I was those GC guys trying to beat Roglic, I'd be waiting for Saturday as well and going all chips in. And um, and if I was Jumbo, I'd just be I'd just be controlling the race to the point that you need to, uh, and then go right, boys, one last climb to win the Vuelta. Now, remember um, that Vuelta, uh, Sam, when uh, we showed the highlights just a, a few days ago, when you got all excited when you were watching it, when you guys did that fantastic attack, all that plan, got up the rope when you, you got Esteban onto the podium. Get, think mm. outside the box, mate. Something like yeah. that's what's going to need to be happening. And, get and guess what? You, get the guess, break guess, up the road. Guess they what year it is, boys? It's 2020, Sam. Anything can happen. But those guys don't need to do it. Hugh Carthy and, and Carapace don't need to do that because Esteban was was a number of minutes behind. Well, he was, he was about a minute behind um, or a minute and a half behind Constable when he did that. Uh, they can't do that in the next couple of days because it's not an uphill finish. It's a downhill run. It's 40K from the top of the last climb today or tomorrow to the finish. Uh, they can't go alone <laughs> like that. They could maybe, yeah, arguably, I feel they can do it on the last stage, on the Saturday stage, which is what we did with Chavez. But they don't need to. I think that they just need. Well, maybe they do actually. Come to think of it. <laughs> <laughs> hey, all right. So, um, do you think the experience, Scotty, from the tour coming so agonisingly close and losing it um, is going to work in their favour or be as a detriment? I think it'll just make them more nervous. Um, but look, what Sam's saying there, I, I agree. I think these these next couple of stages for the GC guys are just annoying. You know, the hills aren't big enough to really make a difference. Um, if there's something in there that's steep enough, sure, they might have a crack. But, yeah, the, the finishes are too far from, from the last hill on these next few days. So they're actually just energy-zapping days, and they'll be trying to conserve as much energy as they possibly can now, for the for the contenders, for Carapace and, and for Hugh, sure, they'd love these next few stages to be super, super hard because they'd like Roglic to be as absolutely fatigued as possible going into that penultimate stage. I think all they can really do is hope, like he did in the time trial at the Tour de France, is just crack and just absolutely light it up as early as possible on that final climb and just throw all caution to the wind. Hopefully, both those guys don't just race for podium places. Um, for, for Hugh... Sure, third in the world would be great. But, um, you know, I hope that he and Carapaz and even Dan Martin, I hope they all just absolutely throw everything into that last um, climb. And your team's not going to be able to do too much to get you up a steep hill. Um, so Jumbo Visma, sure, super strong team. But if Roglic crashes, uh, cracks on that day, then he could lose the, the, enough time to lose the tour overall. So I think that's really all they can do is just wait till that last day. Um, if he were been saying for a while with Roglic, like he's due for a bad day, surely. Stage seventeen, it's coming. <laughs> surely, I, think, I don't I want to put the mods on. I reckon. I, he's I had mean, it. I, 
Yeah, look, I, yeah, he probably has, actually. He doesn't have real bad days. Look, I, it's funny. I was reading all of the different uh, media uh, uh, reviews or previews of the time trial, and they say, if he, as long as he doesn't crack like he did at the Tour de France, well, gee, if that's cracking, uh, I mean, if you took, you know, okay, Pochicard did a wonderful ride, staggering. Take him out of the equation. There's only a few seconds in in it over the next four or five guys. He was right there, really. Yeah. So it wasn't a real big crack, was it? Fifth on the no, stage. So fifth on the stage, that's, that's yeah. not really yeah. a big crack, is it? Yeah. Well, Bill's, yeah. George was talking about that on the Social Distance podcast. Um, his numbers were through the roof. They were like PBs, weren't they? Why, hey, Jonesy, when you talk about our sister podcast, you spoke, spoke about the Detour podcast on the Social Distance podcast the, the other day, and then you just did this reverse now. Why do you put that voice on? The social distance podcast. Yeah, that's a good question. I don't know. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a chemical imbalance when I, when I get into like plug mode. So because you, he's a, but, you know why? You know why? Because he's a dag. A dag. Oh, right, eh? no, but do you, do you think it's because you're you're not sure whether you should say it because you're on this podcast, so you shouldn't mention the other one? So you no, I think I think no, I think it's because I'm a very humble guy. And I don't like to self-promote, so I get it a bit awkward. So if I do a stupid yeah. voice, then mm. people go, oh, he's taking the piss. Whereas it's... if I was serious, yeah. then they go, oh, geez, he's a bit full of himself, you know? It's a protection mechanism. Well, I think Just the Social Distance podcast is fantastic. Why wouldn't you promote it, mate? Our, we, our, all our okay, great uh, listeners. All right, start, start again, start again. So, and Sam, what's the detail? Sam, um, I remember George Bennett said on Jesus Cracking Podcast, A Social Distance, uh, he was talking about Roglic's numbers and they were personal best. If you haven't heard it, listen, because it's a great podcast. Subscribe. Um, is, is is that what he was saying? Yeah. <laughs> Don't worry about it. No, you're right. You're, you are right. Look, like you said, Jonesy, it's 2020. Um, it's been a crazy year. And it's also... It's been the it's been the rides of a lot of young guys. Like you know, it's constantly speaking about the young guys how they're coming through, and we've seen it in both Grand Tours, and we've seen it now again in Vuelta with Hugh Carthy. Uh, obviously, Roglic and Carapaz were two favourites coming into the race. No one really expected Hugh Carthy to be, chafe, um, you know, scratching at the door of potentially winning this race. Uh, I think. Look, at the end of the day, I think Roglic. You know, if he's going to be doing those numbers, and I think he does those numbers pretty consistently. You know, PBs, but he's he very rarely falters. Uh, I think I, I stand true to my word that I think he had a bad down in Anglaroo and if you have a bad down in Anglaroo you, you typically get exposed like a lot of guys did and he only lost 25 seconds. Um, it's an unbelievably steep climb. It's a completely different way of racing to what Saturday's climb is. Uh, I think that in my opinion if Roglic just has a normal day, rides to the top of the climb, I can't see him see him losing. No. Mm. Going to be interesting. Well, if if we look at the profiles, right, these are some key stages. Obviously, you've got today's stage. Looks like it's going to be a sprint. I think Sam Bennett's the favourite. So that's a bit boring. You know, if a break gets away, as you said, they might go to the line. But stage 15 is a little bit more prickly, which is uh, tomorrow's, if I can just bring it up. There it is. Yep. Yep. That That's a bit tougher. And um, if they want to make it hard, obviously, there's a flat part at the beginning there, but... There's a few spots there where they can really sort of light it up, but I think the biggest concern is going to be, do they have the teams to do it, Johnny? 
Well, I like you're talking about Carapaz and Carthy. Yeah, well, if you keep that, keep that map up there. Look, that's a perfect day. On that last Cat 3, so my finger's pointing to it, but no one can see that. But that last Cat 3 there, it's not about trying to ride away from Roglic and and go on your own. It's about being smart enough to get a break up the road that's got a couple of your teammates in it. And when you jump across, they either sit up or the break gap's not that big and you jump across to that break and then you've got a group to work with. Then it becomes a real bike race if you can get him exposed. I mean, it's just hypothetical scenarios. I'm trying to put some interest into this bloody bike race, mate. We don't want to say, <laughs> right. going to win. But these are the type of things we've seen them happen in the past. They can happen again. And when you've got two riders or three riders really in contention, four even, but but you've got the two guys only 40-something seconds down, anything can happen. If one attack on mm. top of the other, you know, gets the slightest crack, then it could all change. Well, we've got some comments. Um, zero chance, Ify. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I hope you're right as a neutral. Um, so it's, well, I'm not putting uh, my money. On, I'm not putting my money on it. But I'm just saying these are chances, you know. Okay, this show plus the social distance podcast and Sam's cooking videos, of course, going along in helping me get through med school. Keep them coming, lads. Good on you, Shree. And uh, Wendy, super fan. Gee, you guys crack me up. And Jason Cruz, agree, Wendy. Some funny lads. Uh, some great stuff. Uh, and then Shree said, the Trump fake news movement equals uh, a murder of the Peloton uh, regarding... Oh, sorry. <laughs> Uh, that was too hard to read. <laughs> Sorry. That would have um, been good, actually. <laughs> well, no, I've got one. There was one yesterday you didn't read out. It was um, someone asked about your nickname, Iffy. Oh, yeah. So, yep. where, where, mm. where, did Iffy, where did Iffy come from? And they thought maybe you should explain that. I'd like to hear that. Well, I think Tom Maloney mentioned it happened somewhere in the peace race, but I think he's alluding to a story that I'm not going to say on air. But it actually happened when we were in the training camp before he we went away to Munich. And, you know, Aussies all have uh, nicknames. And uh, I forget what mine was, Angry Ant or some stupid thing earlier at one stage. But um, Phil Sawyer was the great giver of, of nicknames. So Clyde became country. Um, Clyde Sefton, uh, D- Danny Danny Clark uh, was Sunshine because he came from the Sunshine State of Tasmania. No, or maybe come from- on. tell the that's truth. What we- well, that's what we told him. He said, oh. why, "Why are you calling me Sunshine? Because you come from the Sunshine State." He said, oh, "I've always wanted a nickname, so he liked that. And yeah, maybe he had yeah, a well, different. But we, you don't have to say it, mate. People know it, it, it's all in. No, they I can don't, work I don't it out. Understand what you mean? They don't I don't work understand. it out. Sam, well, he thought, about? he thought the sun shines from somewhere in his body. Anyway, <laughs> and, right. and I, or, no one ever beat me because they were better than me. They beat me because oh, if I hadn't a punctured or if, or if, if, they said bloody iffy. And uh, they said it was perfect and it's stuck ever since. So there you go. There's some great there you go. stories. Though. Yeah, if I'd had a 12 cog. Instead of the 13, I will have won that. Exactly. Game. If yeah. I didn't punch her, I would have won that race. Yeah. 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 And you're probably um, right. A lot of truth in those things, too. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> I did limited research for this show because I've been painting all day, but it's always good to, to jump on cycling news because they do all the hard yards for you. Uh, and they were saying that breaking news uh, Gunnarwagen facing nine month ban for the Jakobsen crash at the Tour of uh, Poland. Um, obviously, yeah, a nasty incident. Uh, Scotty, you're. You think that's a if that does come off? Do you reckon that's uh, just for what happened? Um, yeah, look, there's there's 
no real set in stone rules around this. So that that's a big one. That'd be very harsh um, by the standards that they've penalised people in the past. I think um, Teo Boss, remember we were talking about Daryl Impey, that crash that uh, where Teo just ripped him off the bike. He got one month for that. Yeah, one um, month. Yeah, one month's yeah. not enough. So nine months, look, yeah, you know, I think for, for the, um, the callousness of it, um, he knew what he was in for, you know, he knew what he was doing um, and the, the damage yeah. that was done was extraordinary. So he's, he, he may never come back. Um, Fabio Atkinson to his full uh, ability again, so I think it's worthy. John, yeah, I think it's I think it's miles too harsh. I, look, there's no doubt that uh, you know he squeezed him out, but the, the 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 seriousness of the crash, most of that was not caused from Grotto wagon. It was caused by really bad uh, uh, setup of, of the stage finish. With the barricades were, you know, he would have just fallen over, and, and seriously, he probably wouldn't have even got a holiday. He would have been rubbed out, maybe of the race, probably just put to the back of the bunch in a normal situation. There, he would have just bounced <coughs> off like like Cookie did uh, when we saw in the Giro a few years ago, and got up. The fact that those break those terrible barricades just gave way, and he ended up running into the finished structure. That's what did all the damage, not Gronowegan. So I reckon. It's miles too high. I reckon the organisers of the Tour of Poland should be the ones who are copying a really uh, heavy, uh, you know, some sort of penalty because that caused most of the serious injury. Grotewegen did, you know, sprinters do that. They get rubbed out, so he should have. But not getting nine months, I think it's over the top. Bills? Mm. Well, it's a paper ban, isn't it? Nine months, he'll be back in April. <laughs> no, yeah. May, actually. May, 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 May <laughs> 6th. Five months of it's the off season. Um, yeah, that's a good point. But uh, mate, there's there's so many things to blame with that incident. Gronowigan is one of them. The barriers is another one of them. The finish is another one of them. I mean, there's so many factors. And I, and, and I did read that they went to a um, independent panel to come up with this this ban. The UCI didn't do it themselves, which is probably a good thing to do. Uh, well, but, they've been watching the watching this show. We've, mm. we've been asking for independent panels for at least four days. <laughs> Look, yeah, there's heaps to blame. There's a lot, lot of, lot of things to blame for that incident. Um, man, it was, I, I think if he is right that in the fact, if the injuries weren't to the extent that they were, the ban would be probably different. Uh, I think they're making an example of Gronewegan, which isn't necessarily an entirely bad thing. I think it's, it is a harsh, a harsh penalty. But there needs to be a line drawn in the sand, like where people need to start taking some responsibility for their actions. Sprinters have been doing that for a long, long time, though. Um, yeah, I think the barriers were shit. The finish is ridiculous. Uh, I don't know. I'll sit on the fence. No, fair yeah, enough. No, I reckon, guys. I, I think um, I think you're both. You know, the elements of correctness in all of that. The the, heart, the penalty may be maybe too long, but you have to start to make changes, right? So. You look at the track track program, right? So on the track, you've got lines on the bottom of the track, and if you move above the red line outside the sprinter's lane, bam, you get disqualified, regardless of who crosses the line first. Um, you get to road racing, and the the finishes are very they vary so dramatically from race to race and town as you come in. And in the past, so many things have been you know just let go, and it's only if there's been a major incident like this where often a rider has been penalised. We've seen a little bit um, different. This year, where they uh, relegated Sam Bennett from that stage earlier on in the Vuelta for shouldering a rider out of the way. Um, so they're trying to do that. But they need to be more consistent on this. And look, maybe it's something as simple as some chalk 
straight chalk lines on the finish of these Grand Tour stages, just put some chalk lines down. So you actually get some reference to which how a rider has moved from the left or the right, as you would on a velodrome. Um, just so, because I look at the stage Tour de France a few years ago where Mark Cavendish, um, I think it was uh, Lisa or some of the Dutch rider, that uh, he just dropped him, went straight through him. Um, and it was all because the road was swinging around to the left. The lead-out rider swung off, came back, and Mark was on the wrong side of the road. So he just rode straight through the guy. No penalty whatsoever. You know, and that was a, a really nasty incident, I thought, but there was no penalty. Um, so I think they need to be firstly more consistent with this. And actually, they do need to, I think, start to penalise riders more um, to try and get it out of the system, try to get, stop people from... Uh, look at the Shelter Prize. That was a nasty incident as well. We saw it the crash there. Um, you've got to get it into the heads of the sprinters that they have to take some duty of care and be responsible for their actions if someone gets seriously hurt. Yeah, we're one of the few sports. Well, you look at Formula One. You look at any other sport, and if you know if there's a major incident that could cause um, you know severe injury, you get a crazy fine. You get a, a really bad penalty for it. And we're the one sport that you know the, the beauty of Paris Roubaix is they ride on ancient roads that you shouldn't be doing any sport on, but we love it because that's the nature of the sport. So you let it go. Um, and these sprints are crazy. They are scary. You know, they're hard and you've got to be really, you know, a lot of bravado and, and be tough to be in the mix if you're going to be a, a sprinter. But it doesn't mean you have to be crazy dangerous as well. And I think they need to crack down a bit more on it. I'll, I'll tell you another thing that they do in Formula One and MotoGP, though, which they don't do in cycling, is before the race, they all sit down in a room with the drivers or the motorbike riders, with the officials, and they talk about the track. And they discuss what's dangerous, what needs to be changed. This corner needs to be taken out. This corner needs to be done. This, you know, put some cones here, whatever. Make an exit ramp. They do that stuff. So when they do go and when they do go and race, everything's been said, everything's been agreed upon amongst the people competing and the officials. So then you can't get away with doing dangerous things. If they did that in cycling, and they said, "All right, you guys all agree on this finish. You all agree on the way the barriers are. You all agree on the fact that there's a corner with one k to go. You guys all agree. Yeah, we all agree. Okay, now you can't go and do anything stupid." So. That's another difference as well. Yeah, that's a good point. That's a good point, very Sam. Good point. Yeah. Very good. Yeah, it's bloody surprising. <laughs> Did you see that Ayrton Senna doco? Remember that he raised concerns just before he crashed and ended up dying. Um, he wasn't happy with the state of the track, and yeah, that was pretty bad. Um, with a few more comments coming in, uh, our mate Kirsty Baxter says, "Fumes got to you, Dan. Is that the reason you struggled to read the last comment?" <laughs> I'll re- I'll read the comment. It was just had too many inverted commas. It was all about like the fake news. Um, it's like what uh, Lance was doing, you know, with the denying the doping and all that sort of stuff. Um, uh, JT, what was your experience as a journo during that time? It's a it's a good question. You know, how did you yep. go? Because we've, we've talked about it before, but we can talk about it again because people like hearing Lance Armstrong stories. Um, how did you go yep. during that time covering all the tours when there were suspicions that there was doping? And we've had Rupert Guinness on the show before. And um, did we ask him about the incident with the car and stuff with David Walsh? Yeah, we I did. I can't remember. Yeah, we did. Yeah, yeah we did. John, so, John Wilkinson as well. Yeah. 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 So what what was it like being a journo during that period? Well, being an old bikey type journo, I wasn't asking the doping question. I could have been asking that every uh, tour I went on back in those days. Um, so I was more, <coughs> oh, excuse me, interested in getting <laughs> a story on, on the bike race. So uh, he answered everything I ever asked him. But um, I, pro- in hindsight, I, I should have probably been asking a few harder questions. 
Yeah, but that's not your style. You you wanted to be that likable guy. The thing is, as a journo, if you were so like um, focused on doing the job, which was, you know, if there's a story, no matter what, you cover it. Well, you're gonna have there's gonna be fallout of that, particularly during that period, because you would get blacklisted, and that black book that they talked about with Lance that that existed, and um, we've yeah. spoken about it as well, Scotty, with Lance. Yeah. I mean, we, we had to make a call. Ask hard questions or suck up his ass, and we chose the latter. We did, yeah, absolutely. No, you're so right. so, and, and a good example of that was um, when he came, when he made his comeback. So, tour down under, he was back for 2009, 2010. And um, we had been going to the Tour de France for Fox Sports, Fox Sports News, you and I. And we convinced them to get us across to the TDU as well because Lance was coming back, right? And it was massive, wasn't it? Remember, they paid him seven, oh, yeah. they paid him a lot of money. They changed the regulations, you know, so he could come back a bit earlier than he was supposed to because of the, um, you know, time out of retirement. I think the whereabouts system, he wasn't in that whereabouts um, anti-doping program for long enough to start racing again. All these little things were happening. Anyway, we went across and for what we were doing for Fox, they wanted to hear from Lance every day. So if we knew that if we asked something uh, a curveball question, that'd be it. He'd just shut us out and we wouldn't get him anymore and we wouldn't be able to do our job for what Fox wanted us to do. So, yeah, we just played the nice guys all the time. And there was that one stage where he got into his car to drive back into Adelaide and I've walked over and he put the window down and he's like, oh, yeah, hang on, guys, and he just stopped the driver. He said, just wait one sec. And he let us, you know, we're about to ask a question. And then he said, look behind us put the window up and drove off. And we thought, well, what the heck? He called us over. He was actually going to do the interview. And then after they left, the media manager for the team came over and said, oh, hey, Scott, look, that wasn't about you. That was about, it was the journalist, the American journalist, Gregor Braun, Gregor Brown. Um, uh, Gregor, he only asked questions about anti-doping. When Lance sees him, he just shuts down and takes off. So that wasn't about you. That was about Gregor who was coming up behind you. Um, you know, and, and immediately we thought, oh, geez, Gregor, you've just cost us an interview. But he was doing the right thing. He was wanting to ask yeah. legitimate questions. We just wanted yeah. to get grabbed from Lance so we could get paid by Fox. I think when it all came out, there was a big part of me that was like, ah, oh, a sort of, we're, we're never, we're never going to ask the hard questions. Like, that's just not what we did. Like, we'd, we'd much <laughs> rather be liked and keep getting funded to go to the tour yeah. than. To be these hardcore journos. Our first detour, our first detour movie. You remember that, Dan? And yes. uh, we had a couple of little grabs with uh, with Lance, you know, giving him kangaroo badges and wallets and stuff. You know, no money in them, of course. Um, and then the whole <laughs> and the whole show finished with Lance up there on the podium with that speech, you know. For those who don't believe in miracles, da 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 da, and down went the the lights went out. Wow! And now that that, that you can still get that uh, DVD, but it's gone into the fiction section of uh, yeah of, of the library. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's next to the film Frozen. <laughs> um, more no, comments. No. Pre-race briefings are a great idea, but I'm surprised that it's not already happening. Setting expectations is one thing, but sticking to it is another. They do um, pre tour briefings with the sports directors and they give them you know guidebooks and all that sort of stuff but it's not the same in terms of riders should have probably a lot more buy-in hey, i want to ask you now Bules, there, I, we mentioned on the show yesterday there's a new riders union that's being established and um we see andrew mcquade's involved do you know much about that 
Yeah, a little bit. Um, I said it in a couple of calls. Uh, it's, it's the same movement that we started um, earlier in the year about trying to make some changes with inside the CPA. And we used an ex external um, panel to help us do that. Uh, and then, yeah, obviously the changes haven't come about. Uh, you know, they've made some alter alter alterations, but they haven't really done what we've asked. Uh, so in the end, this, this other union has formed. And look, it's not it's not a it's not a union that's been formed to 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 you know like burn down the CPA. Like there's there's a lot of a lot of industries in the world that have two unions. You know, you can be a truck driver and be part of two separate unions um, that do different things. And that could well be the case in this situation. At the end of the day, the CPA are the the people who have the seat at the table. Um, that has to be respected. But this this new union will offer. Um, what the riders have been after, uh, the one rider, one vote uh, specifically. Uh, and hopefully over, over, the, over the course of the next six months or so, it'll gain traction, it'll get riders signing up for it. Uh, and we will have a, a majority of bike riders that are involved in this, this new, it's called the Riders Union, involved in that union. <coughs> um, we'll still be part of the CPA because that's part of the rules. And, and hopefully we can start to then get a seat at the table with that union as well, and, and start to be heard through through that through that voice, and, and and start implementing some necessary changes in the sport. Do you think um, there needs to be a bit more of a dialed up process? Like we were talking to George the other day about, or um, what do I keep forgetting his name? Who's the Aussie we had on two nights ago? Rory Sutherland. Rory. Rory yeah, Sutherland. So it, it is the paint fumes. It's, it's cooked me. Um, he was saying that uh, he didn't quite agree with the Chris Froome stance he took the other day because, and George said the same, is if you do it too often, you know, you can burn too many matches. Um, do you think there needs to be a collective approach uh, where if you have got an issue, the earlier you can flag it, the better? Because it felt a bit like at the Giro that it could have been a result of, you know, the, the further down the line of a three-week tour or, you know, as you know, guys get pretty cooked. Do you think there needs to be a bit more of a dialed-up process to, hey, we're, you know, a, three weeks out, we, we're looking at these stages. There's a 260K one. That's bullshit. Let's flag it now. Mm. Look, I'm a bike rider, so I have to stand by my counterparts, Jonesy. Um, and that that's been the issue in this sport is that we haven't been a collective group and made collective decisions and stood stood as one. You know, that's that's been a real major issue over the years, talking about bike riders. Um, whether or not I agree with those protesters or not is a different scenario. I think that Rory and George are right that, you know, um, can't be the boy who cried wolf. You need to be, when you when you protest, it needs to be for, a, for something that really needs to be changed, something serious, whether it's, it's rider safety or whatever, you know. Um, but the reason it comes down to that is because our union doesn't step in. So, the, mm. the, look, yeah, you can argue the fact that, yeah, we, the guys at the Giro, they knew about that stage a long, long time in advance. Uh, whether or not that project should have happened, I, I, I don't know. Yeah, I wasn't there. Um, but if the, if the union steps in and be the voice for us, and represents us, then we don't have to do these silly things. And yeah. uh, and that's that's just the, the it's just got to the point where people are just fed up and just going, well, well, well we'll just organise it ourselves. And then they may, you know, yes or no, they're organising at the wrong times. But you know that what happened at the Welcome the other day was the time the time um, gap rule changing throughout the stage. Yeah, that was ridiculous. <clears throat> I agree with George that it should have been a it shouldn't have been the three second rule on up or finish. 
but they but they said it was going to be, and then so that's it. It should be that they changed it uh, during the stage, which is stupid. At that point, the CPA should have stepped in, and, and you know they've got the seat at the table. Go and have a chat for us, have some dialogue, uh, and they didn't. So they didn't start the next day. And and Chris, um, as as you know, senior statesman of the of the Peloton, um, it sounds like the logical person to lodge that complaint. But it was his teammate that was penalised by the change of rules, um, the time gap rules. So I don't. It, it also it didn't sit well with me that you've got you know Chris basically saying, "Hey, my teammate was the one that um, suffered." It. He should have stood aside and said, "Look, you know, does anybody else agree with me?" Yeah. Well, can you then present it? Rather, Chris, it just seemed a little bit too selfish, I think, from from Ineos, for me to do that. But you're right; they shouldn't have changed it, regardless. Yeah, and it was a, it was a hilltop finish for Christ's sake. Like it wasn't a sprint stage. Like the UCI, did they not even look at the stage? You know, what, what was the discussion leading into that? They must have already had that time gap rule. We we, we need place. to get Alan Davis back on and just spray him, even though he's got <laughs> nothing to do with it. It was Alan Davis' fault. It was an uphill. It was an uphill finish, not really a hilltop finish. You know what I mean? Okay, it was. It was a, a, a almost a K of you know, not you know, fairly hard, but uh, a sprinter. The GC maybe, guys, mate. You, it was all, all it. the GC I know, guys. I know, I know. It was a great finish in the end, but it was, uh, yeah. but but Roglic, Roglic supported them in it. He yeah. uh, about so so even though he was the one who benefited, he still supported them. That shouldn't have been changed. And then yeah, George, was, George, George was just pissed a, off because he didn't want to ride. <laughs> it was just the process and the way it was handled. Whether or not it should have been a one second rule or three second rules is actually besides the point. Um, yeah, yeah. It's just the fact that they changed it without any warning. Got yeah. another question. Yeah, this is a good one. Stewie McIntosh, uh, what are the biggest issues the new union will be tackling from the get go? What, what's uh, well, the, the ones you want to look at? The number one driver is the one rider, one vote system, a democratic voting system. Uh, <clears throat> the way this union will operate is there'll be a there's an interim board at this at this stage, an interim CEO. There'll be an election uh, next year to then for whoever has signed up for this this union to then vote on who they want as the CEO and who they want as the as the board members. Uh, and then there'll be a riders council, so every single team um, will have a spot on the riders council, one one rider from each each team. So that that way, the effectively the people making the decisions are this board and the the, the riders, the teams, uh, and and the vote will be my vote is worth as much as Thibaut Pinot's or whoever, you know. Uh, no block voting system. So decisions will be made. Which makes sense. Democratically. Yeah, democratically. Real simple stuff. Real 2020 sure. stuff. Yeah. Have, have, you, have so, you not thought about the Electoral College? That seems to work well <laughs> in the US. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's starting to sound like a Game of Thrones, isn't it? Well, that's what they've got now, currently with the CPA. I mean, that, that's that's the or whatever they call that the CPA, or is that the accountants? Mob? I don't know. Anyway, another 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 question from the Wombat Breath. He says, "On Grand Tours, how much notice do teams and riders get of the length of transfers before and after stages?" As I think this was a main part of the issue at the Giro, Billy. Yeah, that's actually a really good question, and I don't know the answer to that. Um, the breath often has good questions. Because, <laughs> because uh, I, I know when the riders get told about the transfers, um, but I don't know when the teams do. So I, I, I know that we, we know we know the stage lengths and all that stuff. We know that, you mean, for example, the Tour de France, July next year, we already know the stage lengths, uh, but we don't know the transfer lengths. 
I don't know when the, the team management get that information. I certainly know when we get it passed on to us, which is typically the night before. Um, but <laughs> I think that the teams must know about it much sooner than that. Uh, a, couple, a couple of weeks before. It's a couple of weeks before because I normally get passed on to me about it. So I'd probably know before you do, Bills. But, probably, yeah. uh, so, so that, but the, ho- but the, the problem- hotels, though, Johnny, the, the hotels, uh, like when the, the route is announced, the hotels, the accommodation for the teams has already been booked to make sure that it doesn't. Yeah, but get the teams don't know what the teams don't know what hotel they're going into till about three weeks before. Yeah, that's not long enough. That's not enough. No, well, but even then, but that isn't the concern. So when you're sitting there and you're about to go to a grand tour and you're looking at where your hotels are, you're not really thinking about, gee, how far a train, what's their transfer that day? It's when you're actually there and you're actually doing it and you're absolutely knackered because you've got, you know, six-hour stage, you've got an hour and a half in the car, then you do yeah, six you, hours, and then an you hour should and be quali- John, That's- you should be qualified to talk about this because you put us through hell for many years with your shit transfers. The worst, the worst. One day we finished at a mountaintop and you'd booked this bloody accommodation in Grenoble. Remember that one, Scotty, when it was like four and a half hours away? And I said to you, like, Mate, how did you stuff that up? Like we got into the hotel at two in the morning, and you said it was only two fingers away on the map. And I said, "Were you looking at an atlas?" <laughs> he had the big globe out. The big globe. They were, they were the early days. I made a couple of mistakes here and there, but hey, as you say, one bad day, and you never let me forget it. Yeah, but then you'd oh. always give a chateau the next one. Yeah. Hey, hey another question, some? Bills. Oh, sorry. You're right. Go. What about what about um uh the day that we saved John's um friendship with Jerry Ryan? He was going to come oh, save us. Yeah. He he oh, saved it himself. He saved yeah, it himself. Yeah. That accommodation. So, that that was the absolute all time worst accommodation we've ever ever had. Um, so the story well was, it. it was two Why days out. It? Two days out, John goes, hey, I'm a bit concerned. It might have been stage seven, right? He goes, I'm a bit concerned about the stage nine accommodation for you guys. And we go, what do you mean? What's the concern? He goes, I don't have any accommodation for you. And we're like, well, that is a concern, yeah. And then he finally rang round and through a friend of a friend that spoke French, got us accommodation on a farmhouse. And we're like, oh, okay, perfect, you know, whatever. You know, we're at the tour. Just give us a bed and let's go to bed. And get up in the morning, we're done. Pigger, a piggery. It was a piggery. It was not accommodation. We, Scotty, myself, and Bones stayed in this place that they used to breed their pigs. And there was a room up the top. There was a room up the top. And remember, Scotty, it was just we got eaten by mosquitoes, flies. And then we went to breakfast, and they were, like the French family were eating their cornflakes. And I looked up, and there was this like black bit of tape hanging off the roof. I was like, that's weird. It's like, you know, remember in the 80s when it stopped you getting car sick, you had that black bit of rubber hanging off the back of your car. Anyway, I said, oh, what's that? And they go, oh, it's to stop the flies. It was so thick with flies that it just turned black. And that was like hanging over the cornflakes as you're having breakfast. Shocker, mate. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. I was remember when we arrived. I was busting to go to the. Can toilet. we just move on? We're talking. We're talking about serious things in bike racing. Never to go this back and serious. regurgitate the old do tour stories. Yeah, right. uh, uh, but I, I quickly ran upstairs and went to what, the toilet. What last one? And um, yeah, last one. Went ran up into the toilet, and um, and we're still freaking out because the accommodation is. Oh, this is what are we going to do here? I've rushed, <laughs> rushed up to the toilet, and um, yeah, 
it's um I won't go into too much detail, but I I did a number twos and the toilet was broken. It didn't work. And we've gone. It was down an electric it was an electric, electric toilet. toilet. Yeah. Yeah, which well it was it useless is what it was. Well, so I went down I went down to the guy <laughs> and because uh, they spoke a bit of German, so I was chatting German to him and got him to come up and told him what had happened. And I'm sitting there doing the commentary basically, just as he's working around it, working around it, and I'm just saying, Don't open the lid. Do not open you you do not want to see what's don't, in there. Do not don't open, open it. Lid. Don't open it. And he couldn't work it out, and eventually he's just gone for it and opened the lid, and he's just looked, and he's gone, man, man, man. Like, yeah, exactly. That's what's in there. Uh, there is a, there is a happy ending to that story. The happy ending is Jerry didn't stay there, and neither did I. So there you go. Yeah, and yeah. it was the Jayco Bay Classic for a number of years after that, so you're lucky. Yeah. Uh, another question for you, Bills. Andrew Watts, just World Tour teams in this union or second tier also? Second tier also. Uh, so World Tour or pro teams, so pro continental. Uh, and at the moment, just just as it, as it gets off the ground, just male riders, but there, there's a vision of having the woman involved down the line also. Oh, good. Um Vaz, anybody that has travelled on an iffy tour has an accommodation story. All right, another one. We rolled up to a place and John, <laughs> there's, there's eight of us there. And he goes, oh, Mr. Trevorrow, yes, I have your booking. Yeah, um, for August. <laughs> yeah, Stuff the month up. No, that was a good one. No, at first, that was a good one. That, that, what, was, what was good about that one was it was – at the stage finish, it was in the finished town. We're like, oh, it was like a K around the corner. This is great. We rock up and yeah, oh, high no, five and John. No booking. Yep. And four she, four she teams took, there. Yeah, and she took the risk. She thought, hang on a minute. It was like seventeenth of July. We were there, and she, then she thought, eh, went over to August. Oh yeah, there it is, seventeenth of August. Yeah. But you still got us into a hotel like just around the corner. Save the day. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Ronnie Gower actually. Ronnie Gower got got us in, and I've never heard the end of it. But anyway, we got in. We got a room, so we survived. And what about the hotel? There was one about the hotel Carnival. That was a pretty pretty oh, luxurious yeah. um, accommodation as well, wasn't it? Well, that was, there was nothing. There was nothing wrong with the accommodation. The accommodation was fantastic, but Jerry did turn up. So you you you're forgetting this one, uh, Dan. But Jerry turned up with a few mates. So no, no, you're lying. You're lying. Because that was in no, 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 no. John, you're no, telling no, no, no. John, no, no. John, stop. stop. That was in stop. the original. No, you stop. That was in the original no, detail. No, film. That was 2005. It wasn't. Jerry came <laughs> for three days. He joined us there. No, he, he, no, no. Jerry was not at the tour in 2005. The detour to France was on the 2005 tour. He came on the tour in 2007. There was another time. I know time. he came the on the tour in 2007. He came for three days in 2005 and joined us up on Did he? the – Yes. And Just that's why we had no rooms. <laughs> oh, that's why we had no rooms. Oh, I don't remember saying Ask Dara. Ask Dara. Dara wouldn't oh. have given it up for anyone else. Well, see, I didn't yeah. know Jerry back then. Too lately, Scotty. That's why You're I didn't know. Cruising, just hanging out. So anyway, we we were a room short, but uh, so Dara and I slept in the uh, Kia Carnival. We had two Kia Carnivals, and we had one each. So that was fine. Was I well, had one each. I thought it was two in one, so that's not so bad. No, no, Your no, mini vantage. Yeah. Well, I tell you, someone else liked the Biffo. One bad breath. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, b- before we go to Mitchelton, Scooter. Um, oh, well, 
No, we'll go to Mitchell first. I want to have a talk to Sam about something afterwards. All right, perfect. John, you're doing a great job, mate. Really appreciate your work. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, here it is. Mitchelton, one of Australia's favourite wineries and a place of escape. Experience the history, the beauty and the serenity of the Goulburn Valley at your own pace. Looking over the vineyards from the iconic tower, staying at the new hotel, relaxing by the pool, as, as you can see there, beautiful. Recharging in the day spa, exploring the seasonal menu at the Muse, and stopping by the Proubadour, uh, touring their cellars, and of course, tasting their signature wines. It's become a hugely popular uh, uh, venue for weddings and major functions. There's a happy couple there, and another happy couple about to be there uh, if they ever see each other. Uh, and of course, go down to the, into the uh, cellars, the Aboriginal Art Gallery, which is just world class. Amazing uh, photos. And there it is the $10,000. Land Cruiser with the $1.4 million paint job. That's that's a clean read, John. Clean read. <laughs> well done. All right, here's a quick word from our great mates at Bike Exchange. Look at this bike. You think it's just a bike, right? But it's not. <clears throat> it's a bike. 374 people are looking at. This guy, this girl, them, all looking at it. People from here, there, and wherever this is. People that are looking for a bike. Or just a piece of it. Amateurs. Semi-amateurs. And pro-amateurs. This guy wants this bike, but with this crank. And these bars. This could be the perfect match. But not this one. This girl has a bike to sell, and thousands of people might purchase it. Eyes on bikes help grow small businesses. His, hers, yours, and the latest data and insights help those businesses keep moving. We are the world's number one bike marketplace with over 500,000 products and 900 brands where buyers and sellers are brought together in a place where a bike is never just a bike. Bike Exchange, where the world buys, sells, learns, and rides. Righto, Scooter. Time to ask Scotty. Uh, Scotty, Sam. Uh, the so, question. Okay. Um, no, well, it's just about, we're talking about the world tour, of course, Metal the Grand Tours, the big stuff. But the other thing that's been happening that you guys, for some bizarre reason, haven't mentioned at all in terms of global sport, the Tour of Southland in New Zealand is on at the moment. And it's one of the most iconic cycling events in on the South Island of New Zealand. So, um, <laughs> Sam, you, you, must be, you must be following that. Well, it's actually quite a hard race to follow, but I am following it best I can. I saw a young young dude, Ruben Thompson, 19 years old, won today. They had a new stage today, actually, up the Remarkables, which is a big climb in the uh, Queenstown Lakes District, big ski field up there. Is uh, it remarkable? It is actually pretty remarkable. You should find some photos, Jonesy. It's a beautiful spot. Um, oh, yeah. But it's been no wind, Scotty. Been no wind, which is what Southland is all about. Oh. Wind, rain, hail, snow. snow. None of it. Um, yeah, been a walk in the yeah. park. It's hardcore. So what 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 Sam won't won't allude to is that um, so the Tour of Southland in particular is notorious because it is typically a time of year when it has those incredible weather conditions um, and um, you know crazy crosswinds. Often stages are shortened because of the weather and snow, etc. Um, but it also does breed real tough nut 
Kiwi bike riders. So the Kiwis that actually leave New Zealand to go race around the rest of the world, they're already seasoned. They're hardened because of races like the Tour of Southland. And that's my observation of coming up against Kiwis that have, uh, you know, that have made it off their island um, and to anywhere else, that uh, you know, they're worthy, definitely worthy of, of you know, being at the next level. So uh, it's a great little race and pretty hardcore. I remember coming to Europe after just doing Southland tours and I pulled these what the hell are these things? Legalness, never even heard of them. <laughs> hey, um, boys, I wanted to bring back the detour DeLorean because I saw an article on uh, Cycling Tips the other day and it was about what cyclists do in the off-season or better known as the offie. And there were some photos of uh, the Schleck brothers and Contador all, you know, playing with the Dolphins. And that was actually in, in Curacao. They used to do an Amstel curacao race at the end of the season and they'd offer up mainly dutch riders and you know they'd get big names back in 2010 and stuff and give them a truckload of cash sargon went with his brother and uh peter weening used to say to me oh man you got to come to curacao I'll, I'll get you tickets and pay for it and whatever and um yeah one year he convinced me to go i mean it didn't take much and uh yeah so we did a video so that's going to be the detour delorean segment for tonight Ross. Where we're going, we don't need roads. So if you haven't been to Curacao, which is probably 99.9% of you, um, here's a good little, it's, it's like Wean Dog's version of Getaway. Welcome to the second episode of My Piece of the World. Here we are in Curacao. Curacao is uh, one of the special provinces of, uh, of the Netherlands. Um, it's an island in the Caribbean. And yeah, also in Holland, you see, we have nice weather. This island is located uh, in the Caribbean. Uh, it's pretty close to Venezuela. Um, I'm not born here. Uh, I was born in the north of Holland, uh, Friesland. Yeah, Friesland is famous because we have uh, a lot of cows, but also we have a really good singer-songwriter, singer-songwriter Linus. Hey, hello, my jingle bells are gone. If you ever find them, you should leave them hanging on. So here's a short, uh, quick little history lesson of Curacao. Uh, the first people uh, came on this island, they, uh, they were the Spaniards, they came in here 1499. After the Spaniards, the, the dirty Dutchies came, they, uh, they came in 1634. Then the Dutch West Indian Company came in and they founded this uh, city, this, this is Willemstad, so yeah, they made, made a nice city, with nice buildings. Yeah, and let's say 30 years ago they, find, they found the first oil here in, uh, in the sea, so now they're making most of the money out of the oil here. So Bert, in Girona you were very happy with the Brits of you. But look at this one. This one moves. You can let boats in and out. This is a, this is a really nice uh, nice bridge. So the weather is pretty warm out here. Right here, it's uh, like 30 degrees. Uh, this island got a population of 140,000 citizens. We have three official languages here. First, papiamiento. Second, Dutch. And of course, third, English. Yeah, we have heaps of, of restaurants here. It's always good weather. You can sit outside, nice views, good beach beach view. And uh, I was thinking today I'm gonna have a good steak. And normally in Holland we eat a lot of potatoes and 
meatballs and but now I wanted to have a decent uh, meal of uh, meat and uh, tomorrow we have to race so I think uh, we can use this. Prices, it's, it's really good, you know, like uh, they have the the guilders up here and yeah, the currency is, is really, really perfect for, uh, for us, uh, Europeans, Australians and Americans, so good good quality food for, uh, for a good price. So we're here at uh, Mark Damaris place. As you uh, as you can see, he's living like a, like a billionaire. He's uh, he, he's a good lifestyle here, yeah, and uh, let's see uh, what the what the son of uh, Curacao what he can say about uh, all this island. Mark, just tell us what uh, what uh, why are you spending all your off season here in Curacao? Uh, because it's one of the nicest places in the world. It's pretty relaxed, pretty easy going. I think Peter can tell you by now. And uh, it's great to train here. It's easy. It's not much traffic on this side of the island, and. Uh, uh, it's just far away from the cycling in Europe, so uh, mentally I always come back really strong. So that's uh, that's his lifestyle here. So he's living like really like a king here. He's a good job. In terms of uh, accommodations, we have quite a, quite a few good ones here in Curacao. Uh, we decided to stay here in the Lions Dive and Beach Resort. Look at here, you have a nice nice beach views. Uh, yeah, we have a lot of facilities here, and uh, oh, look at this nice swimming pool here. So it's. Uh, I think uh, yeah, this is this is one of the most uh, beautiful places here in Curaçao. The most popular things here in Curaçao are like swimming with the dolphins. You can swim with the dolphins up here, up there. Uh, but for me, I prefer to go uh, go jet skiing and. This is the, down, the downside of the jet skis. Thanks, Zionji. I hope you enjoyed uh, my piece of the world here in Curaçao. I think the next time we're going to be in Australia for the next episode. Bye. Wayne Dog. <laughs> that was a good trip. Um, Purely, I want to talk to you about... Was there a race? Was there a crit or something? Yeah, uh, we we only got five minutes for the video, so I cut all the racing part out. <laughs> I think they used to. I think they used to rig the race like they. If you know, if they paid all this money for Contador to come over, then they need him to win it. And there's like a hedge section with about I don't know six k to go. I think riders used to go up and get on the back of like the race director's van and just hold on, and they get them to the finish and win by about twenty seconds. So I don't. They don't do the race anymore. It's just a, yeah. It's all but, fake, uh, fake news. Fake news. Um, Billy, I want to ask you about the off season, mate, because um do you think it's a matter of like Wean Dog's whole approach was, you know, if you work your ass off for the whole year, um, by the end of the season, you've got to take he he always said six weeks. Six weeks to mentally shut off. He wouldn't touch the bike, he'd drink, you know, a million beers or whatever. But then when it's time to get back into it, he'd switch back on again. But at least it gives you that time to recharge. You know, what What are your thoughts on particularly the off-season period? Mm. I think, yeah, we had this chat oh, a couple of days ago, didn't we, Jones? And it, it just, we spoke about personalities and characters on the show, last time I was on the show. And um, the same thing again with the off-season. You know, some people really need to decompress like Wing Dog. Uh, other people need to keep active, keep going. Uh, so yeah, it all just comes down to, to personalities, and this year's a really bizarre off season. I, I'm i typically try to decompress as much as I can in the off season, but it's always off the back of a big year of racing. Maybe you've finished the Vuelta, or you, and you 
you really need need that. But this year is so different with the, you know, especially for me, I had, didn't have a lot of race days, um, crashed out of the tour and haven't raced since then. So I've been taking a, a relaxed approach to the off-season like I normally do, but trying to be much more active this off-season. So doing a bit of running. Um, I mean, we can't go to the pubs because they're not open. So that's, that's helped with the consumption <laughs> of alcohol a little bit. Um, and yeah, we have we have curfews now here in Girona as well, 10 p.m. So it's been it's been actually a good offset. It's been quite relaxed. Uh, playing playing a lot of war ball, which is like one of the greatest games ever invented. Uh, we play that every afternoon, and then you got to be home by 10. So by 10, I'm on the couch watching Love Actually. Maybe have a little glass of wine. But um, I was up at 7:30 this morning, which is very rare for me any day of the year, let alone in the off season. Uh, it's because I'm up, I'm chipper. You know, I'm a bit more active, a little bit more healthy. That's good. Yeah. Hey, Ify, do you think, like back in the heyday of the Sun, Jayco Herald Sun Tour, um, that was known as the the, the season-ending race and it was known as the yeah. Fun Tour. Do we need to bring something back in Australia that is like the Curacao race, get a Fosters or someone to sponsor it? You know, I think I think there's a gap in the market. Cycling's becoming well, too they, serious. They used to do it. They used to do it up at, uh, at Noosa. Uh, the, the, the Noosa Crit, uh, there was a triathlon up there with the Crit and a huge party, and that's where everyone used to go. It was exactly what that was, the end-of-season play-up. I mean, you got to remember the Sun Tour might have been the last race for the year, but it was our biggest race for the year. So, um, you know, we, we used to have, enjoy a few drinks, but it was a different culture back then. We were really hard days racing. Uh, I mean, we were riding three stages a day sometimes, always at least two, and probably – Averaging around about 260, 280k a day. Um, long days in the saddle, real small bunch. And then everyone would go to the pub afterwards. Now, the ones who were serious would only have a couple of beers. Anyone who was down on GC would have a huge night. And they'd normally have an easy night the next night and then have a good night the, the, the night after. So I used to go for nine days. Uh, and uh, yeah, a fair amount of, uh, of beers got uh, whacked down over, over that time. But that wasn't after season. That was the biggest race uh, for the year. Scotty, do you think the days of having races where riders particularly can just layer up, they're pretty much gone? No, I think they are. So you have the post-tour criteriums, et cetera, that are still you know, somewhat popular, obviously not this year, but uh, through Belgium and the Netherlands in particular. Germany used to do a few as well, but they all kind of disappeared during the um, you know, T-Mobile and Jan Ulrich, um, you know, mid-2000s doping saga. So all the sponsorship fell out of fell out of the arse of Germany, basically, and that sort of had those races all dry up. But so Belgium and Netherlands is still popular to have those events. Um, and it works there. But I, I don't think it really works that well elsewhere. And the the, the media and the coverage, the broadcast um, network of cycling is so vast now that people are just so used to seeing the best riders doing the biggest races. Um, and I just don't think that, you know, it's legitimate enough for them to, to come out and actually just have fun. I don't think the fans would be too appreciative of it like they would have back in the day. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think that that's a, something that will just fade into the, the history banks. Yeah, there you go. It's certainly not acceptable either. I mean, could you imagine getting on the piss halfway through the Tour de France? Well, for starters, you wouldn't fit, like, make the finish line. And then, yeah, throughout the season, as you, you well know, Jonesy, you, you finish the race and um, 
you're just trying to get to the airport as quick as possible to make your flight. So you're already home by midnight after the race, and then mm. you're back into racing again a week later. So it doesn't doesn't happen in our sports. I, I I reckon they do in like other sports still. Like you know, you play rugby on a Saturday night. Your next game's the following Saturday night. If you win, for sure they have a few beers. Like there's no doubt the All Blacks drank a shitload of beers out of that Bitters Lake Cup that they cleaned up last weekend. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, was was that I opposite? Know. I didn't say. Uh, you guys are Victorian. No, no. You don't care about rugby, do you? No. no. Particularly, only when we're winning. When we were making World Cup finals, I was a 20, 20 years rugby ago. fan. Yeah. Until then. Yeah. Uh, but rugby, but rugby, I, I, rugby as a sport is struggling in, in Australia as well. It's, NRL and obviously AFL have really taken over. Um, and rugby as a sport is really struggling, especially with the easy Falau saga and all the money they lost during that. So it's still your number yeah. one sport though, isn't it? Yeah, well, High Performance Sport New Zealand, High Performance Sport New Zealand has just employed um, Raylene Castle as their new CEO, who was... Do you know who that is? No, no. <laughs> what about Australian? She's the CEO of Australian rugby. Oh, you there can, you, you, you can have her. Yeah, yeah it's popular. <laughs> oh, yeah. One dimensional. Oh, the one, so, one so the one that that just left that that yeah, had to correct. pay out the Izzy Falau thing. Yeah, okay, all right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm yeah. with you. All right. Yeah, um, anything you want to add before we leave, boys? <laughs> uh, I just wanted to say that I, no, no, I wanted to talk to to Bills about a young American who got uh, who just got pipped in that uh, uh, time trial last oh, night. Oh right? yeah, Will, Will Barter. Do you know much about him, mate? I mean, it, it almost uh, uh, it almost took it out. Yeah, man. Uh, I know a few things about him. Not a lot about him. I know for starters, he came from Axel Merckx's team. Um, which actually, he'd be a good guest on this show, guys. Um, he well, tee it up. Um, he came from that team, and 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 his Axel's team's been around since two thousand nine. I was in that team uh, the first year, and you can see the success that he's bred through that team. So many guys have gone to the World Tour from that team. They had Teo Gegenhart came from that team, won the Giro, and now Will Barter came from that team, and he finished second in the in the TT by one second yesterday. And uh, his team's struggling to find backing for next year. This is a modest plug. <laughs> uh, it would be a real shame to see that team disappear because of the, the riders he's produced. So uh, he's, he's come from there. And now I know that Will Barter, uh, he hasn't got a contract at this stage for next year either. So hopefully that ride yesterday will open some open some eyes. I know that it's, it's not an easy year, not an easy market, but certainly a rider who deserves to uh, be in the World Tour next year when he's doing rides like that. Mm. Yeah. yeah, almost took it out. Yeah, isn't it a shame? So Hagens-Bermans, there's a team that, that has had so much success in developing riders, but because they're not the ones winning the big races at their age, they go on to do that. There's no recognition that comes back down the tree, so they don't get the sponsorship and the team falls over. It's, it's, it just goes back to this whole cycling model that's so flawed. Um, you know, what, what's mm. the incentive for a team like that to actually you know, develop a rider to do well to go off to be the best they can be in the world tour. You know, you basically just got to try and get them and develop and to win races for yourself and, and hold on to them for longer, which is not the right yeah. way of doing it either. No, it's no. Um, guys, the, the stage, we've already looked at the, the, the next stage, um, but it, when I looked at it today, there's a couple of things that stuck out for me. Was it is this, this, is uh, that the, today's stage or you want tomorrow's? Yeah, yeah, no, 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 yeah that's, that's it. So it's just got that little kicker at the end. So we'll just see... We talk about it being a sprint stage, but they don't show you the final K, the actual um, percentages and stuff. So it might, it might not be a purely pure sprint stage. We'll wait and see. But um, 
they've hosted stage finishes nine times into this town. Um, but you have to go back to 95 and 93. It was the last two times they had it. And that was Laurent Jalabert, who's, you know, one of the guys I used to look up Jaja. to through the 90s for sure. Jaja. Um, and 1989, before that, was Malcolm Elliott. Johnny, Malcolm Elliott, 1982 yep. Commonwealth Games road champion in Brisbane. He uh, he stayed. So they had the the Brisbane to Sydney tour that they had as an ele- a legacy event after the Com Games in, in um, 82. And that in becoming became the Commonwealth Bank Cycle Classic, which was you know just a, a fantastic event for so long, run by Phil Bates. Um, Malcolm Elliott stayed to do that race, but then he also stayed a bit longer and rode the, the Narang Six Day Race on the Gold Coast, which I helped out his team. So I would have been twelve, I think. Um, and Mike's Bikes, who I ended up being sponsored by, Bike Shop on the Gold Coast. He sponsored that team that had Malcolm Elliott, and I was like a runner. I was just running around doing stuff um, and just looking up to you know the Commonwealth Games champion, Malcolm Elliott, which um, for me as a kid was was fantastic to do that. So a uh, little connection to the stage finish tomorrow. Sean Kelly won um, twice into this stage as well back in the day. But Sean Kelly I think the year that Malcolm Elliott won that stage, I think he won the sprint jersey in the uh, the points jersey in that uh, Vuelta as well. I think so. Yeah, I've got a minutes. quick little Malcolm, Malcolm Elliott story. Uh, he won the Sun. He was the first uh, international to win the, the, the Sun Tour, the, as it was in those days. But the following year, just out the back of Warrigal, he got into a fight with an Italian, uh, Debasco, Debasco de Bastard, I think they call him. And they got off the bike and had a big thump up. Uh, and I came, I'd been, I'd been back and having a couple of late beers in the pub. So I was driving because I wasn't working on that Sun Tour. I was a journalist. And I, Drove up and we we came across these two blokes dumping out with an official trying to pull them apart. Cars had all gone. And so the, the, the commissaire, Chukov, just disqualified them both out of the bike race. The Italian, his team car was still there. He jumped in the team car, went off, and everyone was gone. And Malcolm Elliott is standing there, no team car, and just standing with his bike. I said, oh, I throw it in the back. So we threw it in the back of our car. I handed him a can and uh, and took him into the finish. <laughs> <laughs> Hey, no, Bill's reckon uh, nice just, finish for Dion Smith or Rob Stannard. Yeah, I just looked at the, the climb. Um, that last K is 7% with a little 9%er at the bottom, 100-metre section of 9%, but 7% for the last K. So yeah. possible for a sprinter, but not easy, that's for sure. But, yeah, good stage for Dion and Rob, uh, for sure. I think they'll be looking to try getting the breakaway. I think the breakaway is going to have a good chance today. Well, I mean... When you have a finish like that, 1K, 7%, it's kind of like on the edge for the sprinters. So it comes down to whether yeah. the sprint teams back their rider and, and decide to ride. Uh, if they don't, if they think, oh, look, Sam can't make it or Ackerman can't make it, they won't ride. And then and then who else is going to ride? Uh, so the breakaway would win in that situation. I reckon it'll be a break. And I, I tell you who's going quite well. Alex Edmondson, he did a very good ride in the mm. time trial last night. Mm. He was on the podium for quite a while. Uh, and he's coming into a bit of good form. So I'm going to ease my... Pick to win from a breakaway. Nice. All right. There you go. So Edmo or a breakaway? Yep. Yeah. Well, you no, Edmo, he's going to win. He's going to win from the breakaway. Ah, oh, okay. He's, he's going to be well, in the break, better. and yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll All be right. he'll be happy to hear that. Hmm. Yeah. He'll be I'll happy if he wins it. <laughs> I'll jump on board with you, Effie. Back the Mitchell and boys. Dion. Yeah. Rob or Edmo? I reckon. Yep. For sure. All right, boys. 
Great episode. Uh, thanks for coming on, Bules. Um, we'll see you again tomorrow night, Scotty. And we'll be back again at 7.30, Australian Eastern Standard Time. And, John, um, just tone down your aggression tomorrow night, mate. You you just really... You were the one yelling and screaming, calling me a bloody liar. I'm going to get... I want to get Jerry Ryan to uh, give, send you a text to tell you he was up there at the uh, little village. I think I'm trying to remember. Hey, hey, I'm going to leave you yeah. with this, John. Fake news. <laughs> <laughs>